Good night, night, forward here. Uh, in my distinguished career at junior college, I attended Sierra Community College on uh, and off for three years. Uh, I took a year off after high school, went back to Australia, worked, and then at Sierra Community College while I worked at uh, KIT over the years in the news department, and I also worked construction. And then one day I, I got to talking to a, an attractive woman in one of my classes. And she pointed out to me all sorts of things that were going on on the campus that I had no idea about. I mean, this is why like developing friends, making connections is so important. Uh, because there are all sorts of things that we're all just totally blind to. And without connecting with someone, we just go on in, in our blindness. This uh, attractive woman that pointed out to me that one of my favorite teachers had, had hit on her rather aggressively. And then when she turned him down, like he'd spoken very disrespectful way to her, maybe retaliated against her with a less than stellar grade. I remember that the same professor, uh, I, I adored him, but I mouthed off too much in class and he ended up giving me a B. No reason. I was like a great student. He eventually like gave me an award, student of the year, in something. Uh, but when I got on his nerves, he he uh, gave me a B. And then when I transferred to UCLA, and I you know, wrote him a letter telling him how much I enjoyed his classes, he wrote to me, uh, hey, "Very verbally gifted, but you need to be careful about what you say because people will hurt you." They're kind of acknowledging that he'd marked me down because I'd been so obnoxious. Anyway, so she's pointing out that all these favorite teachers of mine are like sleeping with their students. And then I just kind of look around and it all becomes so clear. Like she's telling me this, and I see this favorite teacher of mine, and it's, uh, it's about 5 or 6 p.m. late afternoon, early evening. There he is engaging with a very attractive female student. And, uh, oh, this is Michael Hunter. You know, he's dead now. He's a professor of drama. You know, I love the guy. But I was just completely blind to this dynamic where the most charismatic teachers you know, were hooking up with the most attractive female students. And I'd been attending this college for over two years and just completely blind to it. And then once you see these things, right, you can't unsee them. I'm sensing them everywhere. And there was a peer-reviewed academic study, bro. I think it's peer-reviewed. Definitely academic, where it pointed out that uh, both sexes employ a dating strategy where they offer what the other sex is expected to most want. So women, their signal, depending on how intensely they want to connect with the with the guy, you know, their sexual availability, you know, dressing and acting you know, somewhat provocatively. And uh, men signal their primary dating strategy that they are there to financially and otherwise take care of the woman. So that's why men tend to they spend big when they're trying to impress a woman, 
And when women are trying to impress a man, they'll, they'll start dropping hints about what a, a huge oral fixation they have and, and things like that. So and both sexes learn what, what strategies work and then play on them. So the most sexually intense predatory environments that I've ever experienced were not in the pornography industry and they were not at college campuses. They were at the Sacramento State Capitol in California when I was walking around there with the Free Speech Coalition they were lobbying legislators. Free Speech Coalition is the lobbying group of the Washington Sacramento Valley porn industry. Like the secretaries, the receptionists, all the big politicians were like far hotter, more attractive than the porn stars who were walking around with. And there was this intense predatory sexual energy in the air. And these receptionists and assistants and secretaries were just absolute knockouts. You know, far hotter than the women who were performing the X-ray with pornography. That power, particularly socially desirable forms of power. Uh, really tend to attract you know, beautiful women. So I was on the fringes of Hollywood for years and I worked as an extra on sets. And there was this dynamic on set where the director right, is usually like the general. And you could see a lot of the, the most attractive women kind of angling for his attention. And he had the power, and he knew he had the power, and he knew that the beautiful women found it absolutely irresistible. And so, and he's kind of sitting back, you know, watching this jungle all around me. And by, by comparison, the, the porn industry was, uh, I don't know, so, so debauched, so obvious, so out in the open that it just didn't have the tension level that uh, politics and Hollywood had. I remember I was at this Shabbos lunch and uh, there's this attractive, intelligent, articulate, charming, beautiful young woman who was not Jewish and she was hitting on this guy who was fat, this Jewish guy who was fat, this guy had many great qualities, but he was also incredibly vulgar, incredibly gross, and mocking and belittling this Shiksa who's hitting on him, like pointing out she, you know, she's desperate for me to sleep with her because she wants to trap me and marry her because she knows that I'm rich. And I'm sitting next to the woman and uh, talking to me very enthusiastically, but I didn't really know the score at this point. You know, I thought it was my own wonderful qualities that was attracting her rapt attention. But she was just trying to use me to trigger the fat rich guy. And then, you know, I finally got clued in. And he's belittling her, like she must be able to overhear it. But apparently the seductive power of his connections, of his family, of his wealth, just completely overrode how, how gross and vulgar and belittling and somewhat cruel he was to her. She was still just incredibly attracted to this guy. So it's 
it's a dynamic that I, I see a lot. And I feel like the kid I was in elementary school where I'm not picked last for these games, right? I'm kind of picked in the middle. And so when I'm unwittingly, wittingly sitting in the middle of these situations, I, I try to mount astounding acts of, of verbal and moral pyrotechnics to try to secure the attention of these most attractive young women. And uh, it, it doesn't work. I, no matter how astounding my, my oral pyrotechnics, no matter how sublime and seductive my moral vision for humanity, no matter how piercing my insights into politics, religion, and culture, it cannot compete with fat, rich guys with powerful families and powerful connections. Like I can storm the heavens with my social, cultural, political, and economic insights, and and the women are, are the gorgeous women generally are unmoved. But I, I, I keep trying, nonetheless. So, like I'm kind of sitting on the sidelines, you know, watching this predator-prey dynamic. And, and it's not clear who's the predator and who's the prey, right? Because, I mean, we all have predator, we all have prey components inside of us. And it, it becomes clear like in these moments of like intense sexual tension, like how healthy and unhealthy people are. Because healthy people, all right, they obviously feel sexual tension, but they don't throw their ways, their lives away by pursuing some cheap tawdry thing. And if someone's disrespectful to them, like you know, this fat guy incredibly disrespectful to the shiksa, all right, a, a woman with secure attachment will stop her pursuit of this guy very quickly, right? It's not that people have secure attachment. All right, uh, never make mistakes, right? They sometimes go to bed with people they shouldn't. They sometimes pursue friendships and relationships that they shouldn't. But when they start feeling bad, right, when they, when they start feeling disrespected, they, they leave, right? Securely attached people and spend time around people who they like and who treat them well and insecurely attached and anxious and avoidant people, right? They go off the rails. So as someone who has spent much of my life with a great deal of anxiety in my attachment style, I often just want to get rid of all my anxiety inside of you know, some attractive young woman and lose my dignity in the process and lose my good name in the process, you know, sacrifice you know, other values. So in, in the pursuit of this kind of oblivion and relief from my anxiety, that I'd sacrifice my spiritual values, my family values, my place in my religious community, everything that I hold sacred, you know, I'd, I'd sacrifice for, for the feeling of oblivion that uh, comes with seducing someone who's young and attractive. Tend to put me to sleep with your voice. Work on your storytelling, more punctuation, enunciation, exaggerated facial expressions. I don't know, it's easy to zone off to your voice. Thank you for the feedback.
that guy probably doesn't even own a fancy gas sniffing bar. So, someone who consistently made you know, poor decisions in the area of uh, love and relationships and errors. And, you know, I stand back and I bow to those who make you know, saner, wiser decisions. And uh, so I admit that the, the power to make you know, wise decisions does not seem to belong with me. Okay, I made made notes. Made notes. Oh, so speaking of poor decisions, there's a guy I met who's very similar to me in many ways, David Hoffman, and he is an independent journalist, uh, prone to conspiracy theories. So, I have been quite prone to conspiracy theories because I have some narcissistic tendencies and when I'm in the, in the influence of my narcissistic tendencies, it's really important to me to distinguish myself from other people and to at least believe in myself that you know, I'm a brave, intrepid sort of the truth and yeah, I may not be as successful as other people with my talents, but who have deployed their talents more wisely than I have, but at least I see through the BS. So various times in my life, I found conspiracy theories incredibly appealing because by buying into them even partially i'm able to convince well i'm willing to go where other people aren't i'm willing to go you know, out where the buses don't run no more that's how brave i am and so david hoffman i think is most famous for a book about the oklahoma city bombing which i did not read i interviewed him for my blog you can find my profile of him and uh, i met up with him something like 2003 and he was he and I, we both had chronic fatigue syndrome. So, I bad in college. I met up at a bar in Hollywood. I lost my wallet. I think it's the only time in my life I lost my wallet that afternoon. And I ran into a friend, and he was sharing with us his plans. He was moving to Eastern Europe. So, I was this single young man moving to Eastern Europe to fight sex trafficking. And... He had two main motives. One, he wanted to fight sex trafficking, which you heard is, is dominant in Eastern Europe, and wanted to sleep with a lot of Eastern European women. And those goals might seem mutually contradictory to you, but that's just because you've got such a small mind and you can't understand the grand master plan of David Hoffman. So, Hoffman goes over to Eastern Europe, uh, makes some mistakes, gets thrown in a hellish prison one of the not so hospitable to outsiders Eastern European countries. He, he resides in this prison for about eight months. It's absolute hell. He doesn't succeed in any of his traumatic plans and uh, comes back to the United States and he comes back home to Massachusetts and kills himself. So I too, you know, have lived completely contradictory lives, you know, pursuing you know, promiscuity and intensity on the one hand and orthodox Judaism on the other. I, you know, pursued conspiracy theories. I you know, longed to campaign for some dramatic cause, like, uh, you know, ending uh, sexual slavery and sex trafficking. Uh, so I, 
I just so identify with this guy you know, struggling with ill health and uh, spending you know, much of my life in, in delusion. Uh, one therapist said, you know, I hate to see you waste your whole life in delusion. That's a therapist I had on and off for 10 years. And then another therapist said, I'd hate to see you end up as the guy at the bar talking about what he could have been. And so delusions and you know, my online persona are so tempting to me because it's really easy in these worlds to you know, imagine that I'm some heroic figure. The problem is when I, obviously, more I live in a world of delusion, in real life, I get humiliated. So I, I used to write for about 10 years. I, I wrote a, a, a blog on the pornography industry. And I, I saw myself as this you know, brave crusader for truth and you know, saving lives by exposing exposing how HIV was transmitted through the industry and the role of organized crime in the industry. So I, you know, I saw myself on a pedestal as being this really brave guy. But people who knew me best, right, the people with whom I lived my real life, right, my intimate life, my life of you know, connection and uh, families that I knew, decent, you know, upstanding people I knew and the people I admired most in the world, most wanted to be like were Orthodox Jews who had absolute contempt, generally speaking, for my making my living writing on the porn industry, right? Isn't that one of the tests of character? You know, how does a person make his living? Well, I, I made my living writing on the porn industry and much of the income I got was from banner ads for, for various porn industry websites. So it's not an honorable way to make a living. I remember there was this woman that I was sleeping with intermittently and she came to my reform temple around uh, 1999 and she did not sit with me. Uh, and then she did not sit with me for lunch after Saturday morning services either. But when she got up to go, I, I went over to walk her out. And she said, stop, don't, I don't want people seeing us walking out together. Even though it was this time at the synagogue in about a year or so, she could tell like, my low social standing, right? She could tell way people regarded me. Uh, I had one friend there, a friend at the synagogue who said, you know, I'm kind of fascinated by what you write about and what you do, but I don't respect it. Okay, let's hit the chat. I use wits and tons of humor while talking about stuff that tends to trigger everyone. Uh, high empathy empaths tend to see things upside down and backwards of everyone else, but it works as the world is inverted. Yeah, stop calling myself conspiracy theorist or analyst. Conspiracy theorists are right, there's a conspiracy, but usually wrong. They chase every red herring. I'm a skeptic of everything. That's Jenny. Thank you. Thank you, Jenny. So I was trying to live in this world of delusion. But, you know, I was doing vitally important work. All right, but uh, you know, when, when this woman who I was you know, intermittently in a bed with, but we, you know, don't walk out with me, I don't want people to think that we're together. I mean, another time she complained at the end of you know, our, uh, one relationship we had, oh, you know, I never got to show you off. So women, women are complicated, but you know, that brought me right back down to earth. Like I, I sense my low social standing and then she 
absolutely confirmed it and uh and it moved me right out of the world of delusion for a little while but then i finally ran right back into the world of delusion because the world of reality was just too too painful so uh, stephen miller uh, donald trump's former advisor has been doing something interesting he's got this america first organization that has been suing companies that discriminate against white people so the theory is they, they're going after law law firms because lawyers and law firms are highly risk averse and by going after law firms that say have special affirmative action programs so that people are not the theory is that this will send a dramatic signal to other businesses that they shouldn't discriminate against european americans so stephen miller seems to be a very savvy and effective player of the America First agenda is one of the few people close to Donald Trump who hasn't fallen out with Donald Trump. So he, he seems to be able to read Donald Trump and not threaten Donald Trump. Often Stephen Miller will introduce Trump. So that's someone who lives in reality, right? That's someone who lives in a world of delusion, as I have often done. And he sees this complicated, demanding, difficult person. Donald Trump doesn't sound like an easy person to work for, but he's figured out how to stay on Trump's good side for about eight years and is very effectively pursuing Trump's agenda. And uh, he's doing work that has tremendous impact. I mean, they're filing lawsuits, they're, they're taking things to appeal they are punching way above their weight and, and creating a ruckus and creating you know, perverse incentives for, for those who oppose them so to be effective in life can't be living in a world of de delusion and you know, false conspiracies have you know, grandiose and unrealistic perceptions of your own abilities as I have often done. So right now, I'm living in a state where I'm kind of closely monitoring my every impulse. So when life goes well, I think that every thought I have is gold and should be expressed. But when I get humbled repeatedly, I start reassessing, my God, uh, maybe, maybe not every thought I have. But I'm seeing, oh, that's not such a great impulse. Let's not go there. I need to reassess. Think carefully. I have not watched James Fishback. Talk to you blogs later.